Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 2. I appreciated what was shared, building ourselves up together in the Lord and the love of God. We certainly have, there's certainly a part that we can play, uh, something we have to do. God has given us a work. Romans chapter 2. This is a continuation of the, uh, the look or the studying that we've been doing in, in Romans. And I've titled this uh, message out of Romans 2, Biblical Judgment. Um, if we, as we read through this text, we'll see how not to judge. And I don't think that's a, a, fair, uh, a fair overview of Scripture to, to simply look at not how to judge or how not to judge. I think it's important that we also look at what we're supposed to be doing and for that reason, we'll be bringing in other scripture to more exhaustively, not exhaustive in any sense, but in any large sense, but more, a bit more completely uh, study this subject about judgment. Um, Romans 2, let's we'll read through this and uh, make some comments as I read through it. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another... Thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Okay, so here he says, You're an excusable man that, that judgest, um, because the judgment of God is upon such that do such things, that commit such things. And when he's talking about these things, he's Referring back to chapter 1, uh, actually probably from verse 18 all the way down to 32, talking about what the Gentiles do, the, the, the wicked things they do, the sin that they do. And God's judgment is, Paul is saying here, God's judgment is pronounced against people who do what? Who sin. Capital letters, S-I-N, who sin. God's judgment is pronounced against such people against people who do such things. And then in Romans 3.23, Paul makes this statement. He says, for all have sinned. All have sinned. And that would be include, of course, the Jews here. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because Paul is working on the his fellow Jews here. He's working on them, trying to point out to them their hypocrisy and how that they're under judgment as well. He's assuring his readers or assuring them that God does not judge partially by ethnicity or by racial preference or any such thing. It's all have sinned and he won't judge partially. If you look at the Jewish group there that he was talking to, they weren't unlike many religious groups of today. They believed they had a corner on the kingdom of God, somehow or other. Unto them had been revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, particularly unto them. Their father Abraham had talked with God, 
They had many ancestors who had very special relationships with God. Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Daniel, the prophets. Who? What other group of people, ethnical group of people, had so many fathers to look back and say, God talked with him, God walked with him. Uh, unto him was given the commandments. The Jews were a case of their own. Unto the Jewish people was handed the Ten Commandments. Unto them, God gave the, the principles on which societies, societies could grow and thrive. By following the Ten Commandments, taking this into as law, incorporating it as law in the Constitution, uh, a society could, could be uh, civil, could grow, it would respect each other's property, it could thrive. Um, it'd be a pure society, a society where families could be nurtured and raised. And uh, of course, we know when the family is healthy, society is healthy. So to the Jews was handed these godly commandments. Theirs was a history of glory, miraculous deliverances. Think of them. They only do we read really in the, the old traditions. Only of the Jews do we read of crossing the Red Sea, of uh, being fed by manna for 40 years in the wilderness, of, you know, many other things, being led by a fiery pillar uh, through, the, through the wilderness, through the Red Sea, uh, terrible, uh, being able to cross the Jordan River, the Jordan River being stopped up and water backed up for miles, and then being able to go across. Going around the walls of Jericho, the, the city comes tumbling down after the seven times. You don't read of this, of any other people, uh, other any other ethnical group. This was the Jews' tradition, their past. Um, and it wasn't just a story. Other peoples talked about them. The Egyptians talked about it then. People that, uh, when they invaded lands, people would say, this, these are the people that, that God saved out of Egypt. This was, this was the Jew that Paul was addressing here. There was also a history of terrible shame and defeat, of captivity, of torture, of genocide, of rebuilding again, but of never regaining their Davidic glory, the glory they had during the, the reign of David. You know, these parts of their history, as we also often do, we forget the bad. They did. They, they didn't remember these parts of history. They didn't remember, they didn't seem to have remembered well why they had suffered so and why they were still suffering to that day and still held in, in captivity by the Romans. Therefore, thou art inexcusable. Inexcusable because they knew and they didn't do. Uh, Matthew, Jesus says this about, to them. Of course, Jesus had addressed the Jews. He had, uh, the Pharisees, he had addressed them in, very, in real harsh terms even. Uh, he called them a, a generation of vipers. Um, and Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Paul was trying to, to gain an inroad in their consciences. 
He was addressing their hypocritical lifestyle. They were preaching one thing, they were doing another. It reminds me of when we were in Romania. I heard this sermon, and, and uh, it, it was a good sermon. But one thing I, I've mulled over since uh, a number of times, uh, we were at a funeral. It was not one of our own churches. It was another church. But this pastor brought up the thing about being saved and how it's just like having a being given a passport. With this passport, if you have this passport, and he was talking of U.S. passport, you get to you can go to the U.S. And how that being saved, in a sense, gives us a passport to into the kingdom of God. And that was that was right. Uh, he was right when he said that. But having a being being saved or getting a passport is not necessarily in its entirety the same as as being uh, saved. Uh, when, we, when we're born here in the United States, we automatically are eligible for a passport. We're automatically a citizen of the United States. And it's, it's not the same way coming into the kingdom of God. And I just had to think a, a bit of irony here. The difference between the evangelicals and the orthodox in Romania was the evangelicals believed that after you got your passport, you couldn't lose it. And the orthodox believed that they were born with their passport in hand and they could only lose it if they joined the evangelicals. Um, that's, I loved them both. They were, I had good friends in both and they probably have their things to say about us. Um, but you get the idea here that the Jews believed they had a passport. They were born with it. They had put a tremendous amount of trust in their identity. It, somehow being a Jew elevated them above the law. Or better, it gave them the no, especially in the pharisaical circles, the scribes, um, those in, in leadership in the hierarchy. It gave them the no to legally circumvent even the more cumbersome aspects of, of the law and especially of all their sub-laws that went on and on and on. Instead of honoring their parents, and Jesus talked about this, by caring for them as the law would prescribe, they had arranged so that a tip could be given to the temple or some money given to the temple that would meet that requirement and, and free them from caring for their elderly parents. And there were many other things like this that the, the, the Jewish hierarchy had created into the laws that only they knew about, and then they created loopholes. And, and Jesus addressed the Jews before Paul here. He addressed the Jews for this. He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one a proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. I think what Jesus was saying here in my words is he was saying, you go to all efforts to proselyte, to bring someone into the Jewish faith. After you've got him there, you unleash the law on him. Not, the, not just the Mosaic law. That's, that, Jesus is a fulfill, fulfillment of that law. But of all their sub-laws, how far they could travel on a Sabbath. And there were so many little things they had. You know, you unleash these, all these laws that you made onto this new proselyte. He doesn't know the loopholes. He doesn't know how to get around them. And you make that, that poor person a child, twice the child of hell than he was, or than yourselves. Somehow Jewry or being Hebrew had denigrated 
in these people's mind to only being a, an identity thing, a passport to Father Abraham or to the God of Abraham. Rather than being a holy people, they had become a proud people. They had become a people that trusted in the flesh, had their confidence in the flesh and their circumcision. In verse 3, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same? And thinkest thou, O man, which judgest them which do such things? So you judge them, he's saying to the Jewish people. And then you do the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. The problem, I don't believe, was here with their judging, because God has judged these wicked things, okay? God had judged these sins. He had said they're wrong, and that a person who does these things couldn't be blessed. But the problem was their hypocrisy, their confidence in their flesh that somehow they were above the law. God's judgments are sure and unchanging. They don't go from generation to generation or from person to person. But these, these Jews were judging and somehow they had elevated themselves above. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Well, God's longsuffering and his goodness count to you as nothing. Won't you see that God is letting you keep on going simply so that you can have the opportunity to come back to repentance. Verse 5, But after the hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life. So he's laying it out to them again, what it's really going to be. And it's, it's for us too. It's very much for us today. But I like to see it in its context, how, how Paul is, is talking to them and trying to persuade them, help them to see uh, their hypocrisy and, and give them, throw in values here as well, uh, spiritual truths. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. So he's saying God will render every man according to his, what, background? No. According to his race? No. It says according to his deeds. To them who do well, Immortality, eternal life to them who do evil, indignation and wrath. It's real clear cut here. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to everyone that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For there is no respect of persons with God. It's a short little verse that we can grab. It's foundational. Uh, we can take it with us and, and use it. For there is no respect of persons with God. It all goes back to what we do with what we have from God. 
For as many have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. So just hearing the law, just having the law, coming to church, speaking to us, is not going to justify us. It's not going to somehow bring us in a right relationship with God, just because we hear it. It says, but the doers of the law shall be justified. And if we step, you know, we could take this here and you could say, okay, now, anyone that fulfills the law, anyone that fulfills the law uh, will be saved, right? Because it says, uh, but the doers of the law shall be justified. But Paul makes it abundantly clear then later, he says, he goes on to explain how that the fulfillment of the law is who? Christ, Jesus. So we can't somehow separate the fulfillment, the doing of the law, without incorporating the person of Christ, uh, without incorporating his, like we'd read about his, his in, in our Sunday school lesson this morning, uh, or studied, being having been slain, having shed his blood for us, having redeemed us. Uh, they're tied together. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And, and of course, that is the first uh, commandment, isn't it? That we should love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Um, and so Christ being part of the Godhead, it all ties together. It's the fulfillment of the law. And as we love Christ, we fulfill the law naturally without being forced to because it's the spirit of the law that we're that we're uh, we're acting out the spirit for uh, verse 14 then for when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law these having not the law are a law unto themselves which showed the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Just having the law again saves no one, but the actual doing of the law is what uh, brings us into a right relationship with God. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest, preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest the, thy boast of the law through the breaking of the law dishonorest thou God? This reminds me of the incident where Jesus was uh, where the where the, the the elders or the, the scribes and Pharisees 
brought this woman to Jesus, accusing her of adultery. And Jesus, they asked Jesus to make a judgment. And remember what Jesus did. He, he wrote on the ground and he said, now, whichever one of you is not guilty, uh, cast the first stone. Remember what happened there. All of them walked away. I would uh, give so much to know what Jesus wrote on the ground there. But here's Paul is addressing that very thing here. He's saying, how can you judge when you're so guilty of these things yourselves? Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Also reminds me of Job when Bildad was talking or telling him how that, you know, telling him how he must have wronged or else he wouldn't be suffering like he was. And Job in a, uh, in a uh, ironic statement or sarcastic statement maybe says, I'm sure that when you die, wisdom will die with you. Didn't he say, isn't that how it was? Wisdom will die with you. Um, he was addressing this thing of, of, of hypocrisy again. Um, if, you, if you're going to judge, if you're going to be a, a light to the, the blind, um, if you're going to make that, that boast in the law, then you, you'd better live it. You'd better do what it says. Verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth if it keep the law, if thou keep the law. Circumcision profiteth if you keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of thy law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. So this sign, this sign of the flesh is counted as nothing if they didn't follow through and, and keep the law. To God it was it was become nothing. Therefore, if that, the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, if those that don't observe this fleshly sign keep the righteousness of the law, if they do what's right in the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? I think... Paul was addressing them especially as they related to Christians, um, maybe Christian Jews, but also Christian Gentiles especially. He's, he was trying to get through to them that these people who are fulfilling the law, who take Jesus as their Savior, of course, for the Jews he was talking to, the men of the Jews he was talking to here, that in itself was a bit of a of a uh, thorn, but um, I believe he was speaking to here too to uh, Jews as well who were who were saved, who had taken Christ as Savior, and and was trying to help them see that theirs was not the only ethnical group that God was here to save, but He was also wanting to bring children in from the Gentiles. Uh, and he's, he's telling them here, if these Gentile Christians who are not circumcised, if they keep the law, uh, if they live in the spirit of the law, doesn't even their uncircumcision, uh, doesn't it even become acceptable to God as, as the sign of, of being 
one of God's children. Does that make sense? I'm not sure. It's it's a little bit hard for me to completely get my fingers around, but I think it's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple concept. Um, and it even says it shall even judge thee. Verse 28, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is the circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. And maybe I'll bring in here another bit. Um, I remember having a discussion with a, a Christian brother one time. And he was telling me, just kind of out of the blue, he said, you know, Gerald said, life is difficult. And he said, I just wish I was a Jew. I said, why do you wish you were a Jew? And he said, well, it says in Romans that all Israel shall be saved, doesn't it? Now, I don't know what all your persuasions are about this, but this is how I feel like it comes out. And we discussed it at length. And I, I feel like, Paul made it very clear here. He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. I think Paul was speaking of an Israel who was sanctified of heart, not one that was ethnical when he said that all Israel shall be saved. A circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not, of, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, I know in that particular scripture, it seems like it's pointing more specifically to an ethnical Israel. But uh, I, don't think that, I don't think that we can take it as, as all Israel shall be saved and keep in context with the rest of Paul's teaching here in Romans and, and the rest of, of scripture. All Israel who takes Christ as Savior will be saved. In this passage, Paul uses Jew in a figurative sense to describe the person who is sincere as Abraham was about serving, living a godly life and serving God. Now, coming back here to, to judging them. And this is what came up in my mind as I, as I studied this passage. You know, are we not to judge? Are we not to, to be moral compasses to those around us? Uh, Paul's really laid it out to the Jews here for their judgment of the Gentiles, even the Gentiles that were acted ungodly. Is the Christian to judge? Is the Christian to be, uh, you know, strike a line? In, in, in society and in the relative society he lives in. Um, let's turn to Matthew 7, 1. I'd like to read the scripture. Matthew 7, 1. Righteous judgment, I'm going to give this a bit of a title here. Righteous judgment begins in the heart. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what measure ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye, which would be 
translated as speck, even a speck of sawdust, very small. Uh, that moat is something very large. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. Why well, consider, beholdest thou the moat, the little speck that is in thy brother's eye, and consider not the beam that is in thine own eye. Uh, the the moat is the is a very like a very small speck of sawdust. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the moat out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Now many people, including churches, church leaders, and laity conveniently stop at that first verse. They say, judge not, that you be not judged. Judge not. Stops right there. I've read that in secular articles. I've read it uh, many places. Judge not, you know, don't hold judgment on anyone. They conveniently stop there. It relieves everyone of responsibility. Uh, it's probably the most quoted verse in liberal Christian circles. Everyone can just do what feels right, okay? Don't judge your brother. <clears throat> but I'm going to step out and say I don't believe this verse was meant to neuter and render the church powerless or the Christian powerless. I don't believe that's what it was meant for. I believe this verse or this passage here was meant. I believe Jesus spoke these words to purify the church, to encourage the church to purification and thereby empower the church through the self-examination of the individual members within the church to give light to the outside world, to give power to the church body. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And then it says, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of the, out of thine own eye. That's purification, isn't it? That's taking care of what's in our own eye. Get that beam out of ourselves before we try to operate on this speck of sawdust that's in our brother's eye. And, and I find this word picture here very compelling. Think about it with me a bit. Imagine this. We have a blinded, seriously suffering physician here, okay? He's attempting to operate on the poor man who has a bit of eye discomfort, okay? So we've got this blinded, suffering physician who's attempting to operate on this person with a bit of eye discomfort. You know, the patient squirms, and this is my imagination taking off here a bit, but the patient squirms and he says, you know, no, leave me alone. He sees a physician isn't in a frame of mind or he's not in a physical, uh, physically able to, to, you know, to find that, to even find that speck. He says, leave me alone. I'll figure out something else. And, and this trained physician who has a, a uh, reputation to protect, he's got a family to support, he has his social community to answer to, says, no, 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 wait a minute. You know, I, I can take care of this. I can take care of this. I'll have your eye out in a minute. You get that? You, you know, um, I'll have your eye out before you can blink. Well, naturally, the patient, he's on the run. He's, you know, he's probably yelling back, physician, heal thyself. He doesn't want that person to touch his eye. 
And I believe we have too many times in the church we have the very same thing happen. Uh, I'm not speaking to anyone here this morning inside. I'm speaking to us. I'm not speaking to any particular uh, case or anything like that. It's just something I believe we really need to stay focused on. Keeping that beam out of our own eye before we start trying to work on the speck in our brother's eye. When we go to, when we have needs and we need something taken care of, we want to deal with people who can demonstrate at least a degree of success. We want to deal with people, take our needs to people who can demonstrate a, a, a degree of success. And for the most part, we want that to be a high degree of success. If a couple were struggling in their marriage, they wouldn't want to go to a marriage counselor who's been, you know, in his third or fourth marriage, would they? No, they, they want somebody who can who can give them good advice and who can who's successful. When I have vehicle problems, I don't want to go to a mechanic who who doesn't have experience in fixing the problem I have with my vehicle. And I think that's exactly what Jesus was trying to get through to the Jewish hierarchy here. He's trying to tell them, you know, look, get this beam out of your eye. And then you'll be able to help your people. You'll be able to help get the specks out of your, your people's eye, your, the people that you're responsible for's eye. This hierarchy of Jews, they were professionals at circumventing the law, their own laws and the law of Moses. They were well-trained surgeons. Um, as Jesus had told them, they go to the ends of the earth to proselyte. But they were bringing people into bondage through the use of their laws. Most importantly, instead of their teaching, pointing people to God, they nefariously used God to point people towards themselves. Instead of their teaching, pointing people to God, they nefariously used God to point people to themselves. And in one way or other, the church has fallen into this trap through the centuries over. They fall into this trap time and time again. But the institution has become more important than its cause. And eventually its cause or God becomes lost. And we can look at that all in a, you know, objective way or, and, and see it as something that can happen. But, I think we need to, to bring it close to home. Look at it in our own lives. How do we match up to what Paul was teaching the Jews here? Are we a blind to the guide? Uh, we should be. Paul's not saying, you know, get off the, get off the plate, you know, leave, leave uh, you know, your ministry or leave what you're witnessing, leave whatever you're going to do because... Uh, you know, you just can't measure up. He's not saying that. He he wants people to measure up. He wants he wanted the the Jews. I think he wanted them to be first and foremost in taking out the gospel. Um, but he was addressing their hypocrisy. Righteous judgment is restorative in its very nature. Righteous judgment is restorative in its very nature. Removing the speck in our brother's eye is for his benefit. It's not for ours. Out of our love for his good welfare, we're willing to carefully, carefully, prayerfully, with much 
uh, well, coming back to care, with much care, operate on that eye. Not because it furthers our personal agenda, not because it makes us look good, but for his benefit. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Verse 31 here, if we would judge ourselves. Now, many times we look at this in a singular sense, but I don't think that's what it means. He's talking to the church here, the Lord's body. He says, if we would judge ourselves, then we should not be judged. If we make this we plural as a congregation, if we would judge within ourselves, within our body, we are the corporate body of Christ, not we are. If we all carefully, prayerfully, and lovingly operate on ourselves through God's direction, we would be healthy. We wouldn't be sick. Then we, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. The, the church, who out of purity and sincerity, judges within ourselves, within herself, saves her member saves her members, the members of her body, from eternal condemnation. Isn't that what it's saying here? When we are judged, we, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. The church, when it judges within ourselves, herself, when it chastens, uh, it's, it's of the Lord when it's done um, with Bible principle. When it's done by people who have, who have been careful about removing the beam out of their eyes. Um, and it, it has the cleansing effect. It has the effect of, of saving her members from eternal condemnation. Righteous judgment restores and maintains spiritual health in the body. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 gives the steps of, of, of working with a brother who is in error. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two or more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and publican. Now, at the same time, Looking at this scripture, it makes it sound almost like you're, it's talking about personal differences between me and my brother. Um, I think Paul addresses that well later on in, in Corinthians. He talks about how that the church should judge within herself and not take things on. He condemns the church, therefore, having taken uh, lawsuits on to, to uh, secular powers. He, said, he says, he even says, you know, don't you know that you will judge men and angels. And why are you here taking this to people who know less about judgment than what you do? Um, so I think we have to take that in context with Scripture here. When we have, when there are personal differences, I don't think it's talking that, you know, we, we brother A disagrees, disagrees with brother B, so we take him, so we go talk to him. And if he doesn't agree with me, brother B, then we take two more and, 
so forth. I think it's talking about things of a more serious nature where it's, where it's uh, heretical differences or where someone is promoting false doctrine or has to do with, with someone not living, obviously not living in, in uh, a spirit-filled life, uh, living in sin, uh, living in apostasy. When this sort of thing happens, then we have this prescription here in Matthew 18. And there are times when this needs to be done for the purity and health of the church. Uh, the body must act in judgment. It doesn't mean it makes the rules. It uses the judgment God's already prescribed. And it, it, it works with those. It must cut ties with the person who practices heresy. The church must do this for its purity and health. It must speak out against sin and apostasy. It must act to protect the sheep from dangerous influences and in practice. And the church must be faithful in her calling to present herself unto God without spot or wrinkle. Righteous judgment. Faithful judgment. I, my mind goes back to Daniel and how that um, he was such a humble man and so faithful in his judgment. God called on him a number of times, well, at least two that we know of well, to talk with the king. And Daniel stepped up. He did that. One time, at least, he would have had the opportunity to, to have all of his... His uh, all of the other uh, all the other wise men killed, and he he uh, he acted as a savior to those to those other uh, influences in the court. Um, he was a he was a humble man who took the opportunity to to bring God's judgments to the king and and to to be a light to be a moral compass. And I think that's a good example for us. God's not calling us to, to uh, be a proud people, to grab the law and say, here we have it. He condemned that. He's calling us to be a humble people who show his light, who show his judgments, and, and who act out on his authority and, and nothing else. God bless you all this morning. I hope that as we we look at ourselves in the light of God's word, I pray this for myself, I pray this for you, that God would make it abundantly clear to us if we have beams and, and how to work on them. And, and, and uh, pray that God would, would make us a brotherhood who'd be willing to, to do the operating and take the operating. That's really what, what we're here for, isn't it, as a body of, of Christ. I'm going to, uh, let's have another song, and then I'll ask uh, Lowell to close the service. Can you do that? Thank you.